This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Information released uh, last week shows that uh, Google's influence in terms of being a search engine giant uh, may have had some uh, unusual effects back in 2012 when an investigation by the Federal Trade Commission was ongoing. The report shows that FTC commissioners, some or I should say FCC staff, many of them believe that Google could potentially be sued for their practices, but nothing ever came about it. And while this may not have an immediate effect on Google here in the United States, it may, though, affect ongoing investigations by European regulators against Google. And it may bring back further complaints by companies here in the U.S. in the future. To look at how this leak will affect Google, we are joined by Eric Clemens, who is a professor of operations and information management here at the Wharton School. Great to see you again. Great to be back. Uh, you, as we were talking before, you have been uh, really on this particular topic now for, what, six or seven years uh, and, and have been wondering why these practices really haven't been looked closer at. That's correct. Explain, uh, going back, what really first started uh, your your initial foray into this? This is going to sound almost bizarre, but in 1991, I published a paper with a regulatory economist on the dangers of uh, online search. And I talked about the almost unlimited power of an online search engine uh, to set monopoly prices even in the presence of competition. Uh, In fact, we called it uh, parallel virtual monopolies at the time. Now, in 1991, I certainly wasn't writing about Larry and Sergey. Yeah. But the business model uh, almost invariably leads to several kinds of abuse. Uh, By 2009, they were visible in Google, and I started to write about them. And none of the revelations in the Wall Street Journal should have been surprising. Uh, Firstly, that the abuses were occurring. And secondly, that you really couldn't get anybody to take them seriously. Why, though, do you think that really they were not taken seriously? Because you're talking about, you know, fairly serious accusations here. This is really complicated. And uh, there's a category of business called a third-party payer two-sided market. Mm -hmm. So if I use Google to search, it's free for me. Mm -hmm. If uh, somebody uses Google to reach a customer, he has to pay. And Hmm. since it's free to me, I don't really care what the cost is. Sure. And since he has to pay, he pays almost regardless of what the cost is. Uh, Interestingly, if some customers use Google and others use Bing, you have to be present in both. So there's Hmm. no direct competition between Google and Bing for the setting of, of keywords. The closest analogy was in the early 80s when Sabre was used by some travel agents to book flights, Apollo was used by others, and they competed with what I call a reverse price war. Sabre and Apollo kept raising the prices they charged airlines to increase the payments they gave customers to buy the power over the airlines so (laughs) they could increase the payments that airlines were forced to make. 
the Google business model uh, fundamentally is the same mandatory participation, third-party payer business model. That's not something you study in economics. Right. That's something you saw and, and obviously have have written about. In fact, you told me that you actually wrote uh, a couple of uh, pieces that you tried to get published in the Wall Street Journal back in, what, 2009, 2010? That's correct. And, and, and they did not get published. Nobody actually believed that an organization that looked so benign yeah. could actually be so abusive. I was able to get them published in uh, places like the Huffington Post or uh, TechCrunch, and I, I will say that the attacks on me were endless and personal. Yeah. So it's it's um, the least personal reaction was when somebody said um, the federal government regulate Google, better Google regulate the federal <laughs> government, and that gives you some sense of the relative popularity of the two organizations at the time. Yeah, and we're talking with Eric Clemens, who's a professor of operations and information management here at the Wharton School. Great to have him here in the studio. So then, with this story coming coming out last week, what do you think is really the effect that that this being in print, and obviously this is something that, that as you said, you were on several years ago, but now that it's coming out and with what is Google's having to deal with over in Europe right now, is there, can there be an effect uh, on what might happen with Google overseas? Absolutely. Uh, Google was very, very close uh, to reaching uh, an agreement with the European Commission that basically said, do whatever you want. You know, stop stealing content. Yeah. And other than that, pretty much do whatever you want. And the agreement was unfortunately very harmful to competitors, very harmful to consumers, and we still haven't begun to discuss things like violation of, of privacy or intellectual property rights. And at the last minute, the outgoing, I guess it's uh, vice chairman, vice president, Almunia, decided not to sign the deal. Mm -hmm. So everything is still up in the air, and the, the categories of abuse can actually be discussed. And the fact that uh, uh, the European Commission has bought itself some time means that we can have some profound changes in, in Google's behavior and possibly, just possibly, uh, similar effects in Japan, similar effects in, uh, uh, in Australia, New Zealand, similar effects at home. So how much do you think will, will we see uh, basically a... a uh um, a review of the investigation that, that had already been going on for some time. Obviously, it seems like the, the potential for a reworking of whatever agreement was on the table is certainly there uh, if, the, if the European Commission decides to, to go down that path. Yeah, I've recently written a very focused editorial on one category of abuse. Uh, in the United States, you're allowed to have a monopoly uh, yeah. if you're lucky. Yeah. Uh, Sherman Section 2 doesn't prohibit monopolies gained through luck, history, superior product, but it explicitly prohibits actions to extend or defend a monopoly. Uh, Europe is a little less generous on monopolies you already have, but equally strict on extending and defending. And Google has taken actions to extend and defend its monopoly both uh, in search and in mobile search. And I think as enough very focused uh, letters, comments, are submitted to the European Commission, I think uh, Google's standing in Europe can be changed. 
We're joined by Eric Clemens, who is a professor of operations and information management here at the Wharton School. You can join in the conversation if you'd like to ask him a question about uh, what is going on with Google and what might go on with Google going forward. Uh, the number is 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. So w- with the potential for uh, a reworking of whatever agreement might be put in place for Google o- over in Europe, could we see any changes here with Google in the United States going forward? We could. It's going to be difficult. Google is politically very well connected. Yeah. Google spends more on um, lobbying than any company in history. Uh, the, the nature of the abuse is so complicated and so indirect. So, f- for example, I did some work with a hotel chain. Yep. We studied not buying our own name as a keyword. <laughs> okay. Every dollar we didn't spend on our own name cost us $40 in lost revenue. That's not advertising. If a guy is searching for Hyatt or searching for uh, for Holiday Inn yeah. and ends up somewhere else, that's not advertising. That's control of access. Yeah. Um, I explored whether when I pay more for a hotel room because of the cost of keywords, I can sue for harm. In most of the United States, the harm is considered indirect, and I don't have legal standing to sue. Now, the hotels could sue, uh, but rather than publish our findings, the uh, hotel decided not to say a word because the return 40 to 1 on buying their own name, they could afford to do that, and they would rather not have raised Google's uh, anger. So... I don't have standing, and they were afraid to sue. And, and that really does show the, the power that Google has in, in a lot of these situations. Google is treated very, very specially. When Google was found guilty of obstruction of justice in the Spy scandal, which was basically recording everybody's Wi-Fi traffic while they were photographing the houses, yeah. um, the penalty was $25,000. Now, Jeez. you know, suing Google and making Google pay $25,000 is a lot like my asking you for change of a penny. I, I was going to say, yeah. You it's, know, so, so it's, they're treated very specially when the Department of Justice um, basically accused Google of uh, almost a couple of dozen accounts felonies. Uh, they announced it in... Uh, Providence, Rhode Island, rather than in uh, Department of Justice in uh, uh, D.C., uh, Article 2A through Q lists the felonies. Article 14 makes it a felony for Google, any Google officer, any Google-funded statement to deny the felonies. Article 16 seals the evidence, and the fine, the penalty was to return the money. Now, no bank robber is penalized (laughs) By saying, we'll seal the evidence, just give it back. Yeah, right, right. Now, this is not (laughs) germane to the discussion of antitrust, but this is definitely uh, germane to the discussion of enormous, enormous power. Right. And it's this power and popularity that makes even the most fundamental discussions of the economics and the law very difficult to have. Well, and and that seems to be a topic that that really, uh, in terms of that level of power, that that does make you wonder where we are going to be in, in you know, 10, 20, 30 years in terms of these companies having an unbelievable amount of control and, and, and oversight over so many things that, that 
we take for granted now because of of our connectivity to the internet. I mean, our smartphones are at our at our in our hip pop, hip pockets all the time. I mean, it, it is it does bring up a very interesting discussion. Legal reform in the United States occurs very slowly, if, that, if at all. Uh, but slowly is good. I mean, I'm not really sure I want a whole bunch of activist yeah. judges and activist lawyers changing the law quickly. Yep. In um, 1913, it was not at all clear how to regulate AT&T. We knew we wanted interconnectivity, which with their technology meant a monopoly, and we knew we didn't want a monopoly. So we had an agreement with them. And then as the technology became more powerful, we added new restrictions, like AT&T couldn't own radio stations. Right. AT&T couldn't control who had access to radio stations. Eventually, I think the regulatory policy, even the legal policy towards uh, Google's ability to uh, extend its monopoly, defend its monopoly, move into content, I think inevitably the legal system will catch up but it's going to take a while. The interesting thing in terms of the story that was written in the Wall Street Journal uh, the other day about uh, the decisions back in, in 2013 where, where Google is concerned is, uh, as I alluded to at the top, uh, some of the members of the FTC staff suggested that, uh, that a suit should be brought forth against Google, yet the commissioners decided to not bring suit. They decided, well, you know, Google says it's going to make a couple of changes and that we're going to leave it at that. Obviously, that seems like that was a mistake in order to do that. I don't think it was the first time the FTC made a mistake. Yeah. Because there were uh, subsequent occasions when they could have investigated and and chose not to. But again, the, the issues are complicated. The idea of a mandatory participation, third-party payer business model enabled by single homing users. Wow. Try to explain <laughs> that to a senator in a hurry. You know, and then No, with, try with to all, explain that to anybody. So with all, with all due respect to the electorate, Google looks like it's free. Google looks like it's freer than free because yeah. nobody has to pay to search. All of the, all of the harm, and there is harm, yeah. is indirect. And uh, the argument that Google is free and consumers love it has a great deal of resonance with members of the, of the FTC. So is it, uh, I guess, as we alluded to before, it seems like the way that potential change is going to be affected uh, where the Internet and where Google are concerned, it may very well start with the, with the European regulators right now, and that may end up carrying back into the United States. Possibly. It's also possibly that it's possible that the courts will begin to understand how directly affected they are by this, yeah. how we all are. The Supreme Court recently uh, ruled that the previous attitude towards uh, texting, towards uh, text on a, on a cell phone, mm -hmm. was incorrect. So the argument had been by analogy if I say something totally inappropriate, if I threaten a federal building on my cell phone and a police officer hears me, yeah. that's not protected conversation. By analogy, anything on any text on my cell phone had previously been considered public as well. Supreme Court justices all text, all have cell phones, and they decided that cannot possibly be rational. At some point, the courts will decide we all have kids. The abuse 
of students' Gmail accounts uh, affects us. Bit by bit, there will be a change, but the change can't occur until the population views Google as less than fully benign, and that's going to take time. That's going to be difficult. Is it, is it hard to even expect that when you're talking about the general public? Because for the most part, people don't, I, I don't think, think about getting into this type of a discussion. They don't think about involving themselves in trying to understand that. And for some respects, that does play to Google's advantage. Absolutely. Uh, statements like privacy is dead, deal with it, get used to it, yeah. are very self-serving. The idea that Google is, is free and therefore there can be no harm. It's very self-serving. Yeah. Giving me Gmail without explaining to me uh, how it's used can be very self-serving. Very, very brief aside, one of my drinking buddies had been Secretary of Homeland Security, and he pointed out that he sent an email to a uh, former Secretary of State who <laughs> happened to be using a private email account. Yeah and immediately got targeted ads uh, <laughs> about um, hotels in Kabul. <laughs> now, that's amazing. Yeah. That's absolutely incredible. That's even unsafe. You know, so he got rid of his Gmail account. Yeah. But bit by bit, um, we may figure this out, but it looks like Gmail is free. It doesn't look like it can hurt you. Yeah, I, I sound so passionate about this. I apologize. Well, well but. no, but it, but, it, but it does bring up the question is, you know, obviously the practices of Google, you know, are, are these the practices of, of other, you know, search engine giants, of other companies with email with, tied to there? I mean, is this, is this uniform across the, across the scope uh, of of, of the internet. Let me give you two, two examples. Years ago, I had a meeting with an internet search giant, um, very big in Korea, and they did not want my help in exposing Google. They wanted mm -hmm. my hope, help in duplicating Google's strategy. <laughs> All right, so that answers part of your question. Yes. Uh, alternatively, <laughs> I've had discussions with Bing at Microsoft, and they would like... Um, an ecosystem built on safety. Similarly, Apple would like an ecosystem built on safety. Yeah. That's not because they're morally superior. It's because they make their money somewhere else. Yeah. So Google gives us documents in an attempt yeah. to bankrupt Microsoft. Microsoft would like safe search in an attempt to hurt Google. Uh, it's not that they're morally superior, but no, uh, at the moment, uh, Google's... Uh, business model is quite different from Apple's, and it is quite different from Microsoft's. I was going to ask you whether or not that word safety uh, can even have a, a couple of different meanings within what the company actually wants, or is it truly they do want to try and have a you know a, a safe communication outlet for people to be able to use to be able to trade email back and forth? And it seems like that that is the case. A, a couple of years ago, Wharton did a. Uh, story on whether Apple had lost its edge. Knowledge at Wharton, I think, was the yep. source. Yep. And I talked about, no, the next play isn't going to be in hardware. The next play is going to be in ecosystem safety. Yeah. And that just didn't sound as catchy as, sa as saying <laughs> Apple had lost its edge. But in, but in fact, I think Tim Cook has just announced that Apple's next play is to be your, your safe ecosystem. Yeah. 
That doesn't make them morally superior. It's a valid capitalist decision. It happens to be one I endorse and one that seems to me to be morally superior, but it's a business decision. If, if Google was more diverse in, in terms of, of what they are trying to make a profit on, would potentially their view on uh, on the internet change, or, or are they? I would imagine they're too far down the road uh, to to make significant changes where they would try and be safe, like as you mentioned, like Apple and Microsoft would like to be. Google is massively diversified in the way that it profits from being unsafe. Yeah. So it's it's not really accurate to think of Google as being a single line of business okay. that, that they could diversify. Uh, they have dozens of ways of, of getting information about you and numerous ways of, of basically ratting you out. Uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Ben Schiller, uh, son of the Nobel laureate yep. Robert Schiller, yep. recently did a study in which he demonstrated that the airlines were getting information from Google, other vendors were getting information from Google, that allowed them to do some form of desperation pricing. You know, if I text you, I'm so sorry about about your wife's mother, uh, I will be there. Yeah. The airfare I get for Chicago will be different from my saying, I am so bored. If I can get a cheap flight, sure. let's go out to Shaw's for Crab tonight. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, it's already found dozens of ways to profit from the information it gets. Everything from selling you out to um, uh, merchants, to couponing you for merchants uh, who have just paid for access to you. Diversification isn't, isn't the problem. Uh, for what it's worth, um, Google is occasionally, no, Google is often violating the law. Mm. But there are so many gaps in the law that much of, of Google's practice yeah. would survive. And, and that brings up another quick topic we have a couple of minutes to, to discuss, is the fact that the Internet has grown so much over the last decade or so, and, and it's going to continue to grow, that a lot of the regulations, a lot of the, the, uh, the governmental pieces in place to kind of oversee it, in many cases, are very much out of date. Absolutely. And, and we, it, it's almost like the government would have to play catch-up for 30 years and still not be caught up to where they probably need to be because of how everything is changing almost on a constant basis. You know, we went through periods like this before. Uh, the Interstate Commerce Commission was necessary because we'd never had network industries like uh, railroads before. Yeah. We tried to regulate telecommunications the same way. It's a very different network. You need monopoly for interconnectivity in a way that you didn't with railroads. Yeah. Okay, we had the Kingsbury Commitment, which was like a manual override for yep. both the Interstate Commerce Commission and the Sherman Antitrust Act. When um, we went from uh, telephone to um, radio, suddenly there were new potentials for abuse, and we ended up with the FTC. So we've gone through periods of profound regulatory catch-up, yeah. and mostly we've gotten them right eventually. But the trick will be because of the fact that how the Internet and, and use of the Internet continues to change is, can we catch up to be on, on a level playing field, let's say, five years, ten years down the line, or is it not possible? You know, it's getting harder uh, because of the power 
of companies like Google. Yeah. It's also interesting in Google, at least until recently, Larry, Sergey, and Eric had virtually all of the voting shares. Yeah. So they can do whatever they want for personal um, wealth maximization. Yeah. And they don't seem to have the same social conscience that AT&T had. Now, that sounds absolutely bizarre. <laughs> but in 1913, AT&T set up a pricing mechanism to guarantee every American uh, could uh, afford a phone. phone. yeah. And they did so within very tight caps on their own profitability. I can't keep track of Google's profitability, but Google's profit margins on uh, paid access, access to customers. It's probably the highest in the history of any industry on earth. Yeah. Uh, Eric, great to have you come by. Thank you very much. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.